It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Good afternoon and you're very welcome to Late Lunch. It's Joan Larkin sitting in here for Jerry again all this week. I hope you can stay with us. A very busy show ahead and as always the number to text or WhatsApp us with your comments and questions is 086-1800-658. Now my first guest this afternoon is a lady whose story we have been following for about the past 18 months. Eileen Rush's battle with cervical cancer. She was diagnosed 18 months ago and she's here with me in studio with the latest results and a bit of good news I believe Eileen. You're very welcome to Late Lunch first of all I should say Thanks. lovely to have you in studio looking so well thank you so much um, sorry it's not 18 months it's 6 months since I got diagnosed oh I'm cured. sorry no no you're fine it's I probably it's, uh, 2018 I got diagnosed but yeah it's 6 months um, I got diagnosed and cured and so I'm very very lucky such a short space of time so the latest results tell us what are they exactly um, I am currently cancer free that's <laughs> yeah, amazing so. that is absolutely <laughs> amazing so what's the road from here will there be further checks now and monitoring of you yeah so I mean that's it I'm uh, very cautious about the result but absolutely delighted I suppose um, it's hard not to be aware of it when there's so many other stories out ahead of me where people have got the all clear and unfortunately it's come back so um, I suppose my doctors just told me to be uh, mindful of myself watch myself be um, healthy but she also said don't do any extremes um, and then I suppose I monitored every three months um, mm. for I think it's 18 months and then it will go every six months for a while and then it will go yearly please God anyway so Okay so can you take us back to that day when you first sensed there was something wrong um, So I was getting um, treated for abnormal um, cells um, which were detected through the cervical check screening programme um, that's why I would advise people to still bear with it um, I suppose uh, there is there's obviously a lot of uh, negative stories that mm. have, have, are all through, unfortunately. But without it, I mine wouldn't have got diagnosed. So I had got diagnosed with abnormal cells and I was being uh, treated for them for about 18 months, two years. And then I went to get, they were going to cut off a bit of my um, cervix because the lilettes and the different treatment weren't working. Um, but then when they went in to do that, they, they discovered the tumour and they sent off. Um, I got transferred from the Dundalk Hospital 
hospital because I was just in for a day um, mm. thing and I got back down to the Lourdes and they sent off a biopsy and that was I think on a Friday and on the following Wednesday I got brought in back up to the cervical check unit in Dundalk and they said it was cancer and so I got straight away referred up to the matter and it was the 18th of December so it was coming to the end of everything closing down so I was very lucky that the Professor Brennan up in the matter referred me before he even got to see me had referred me on to my oncologist in St Luke's Dr Gilmore um, so I got to meet Dr Gilmore Christmas Eve um, to run through uh, my diagnosis and what the treatment ahead would be. Well any time of the year is a horrible time to get that diagnosis but Christmas Eve it must have hit you particularly hard. Yeah um, I'm probably Hallmark's best customer like any holiday <laughs> I go over the top and my family will tell you about Christmas uh, shopping for the last 12 years my parents have tried to tell me to take it easy uh, with shopping for my son Seamus but I haven't learned yet so yeah <laughs> um, I, I just decided to obviously my whole family found out and everyone was absolutely devastated but I just decided to put it on the back burner as much as possible because like Christmas is still about the children and uh, yeah so I didn't tell Seamus till after Christmas so I just had actually had a really nice Christmas I suppose uh, I'd be quite a control freak at times so I was able to just put that news in a little drawer close it and leave it there for a few days I was just going to say how in the name of God did you hold it together? Uh, I have a really good family Uh, we are like Christmas for us isn't really anything out of the normal. We just hang out together. Mm. And yeah, I suppose just being around the people I get on so well with, maybe going for a quiet in the local pub in Kyo's there. And that's just what we do. So it's actually quite easy because it was just about being with family. So, But inside, how were you feeling that Christmas? I suppose, like, at the same time, you know, there is all this uh, scandal about the cervical check. So, mm. And there's so many ladies there who've gone through and haven't had the same results I've had. Um, so I suppose I couldn't ignore it. I decided to just be positive and I just decided that I could beat it. Um, so Did you? You yeah. just said, I'm going to beat this. Yeah, I mean, yes. Seamus's dad had passed away the year before uh, due to um, epilepsy. So... I, I'm his only parent, so, and he doesn't have any siblings, so I just mm. knew I had to beat it. <laughs> yeah, you had to beat it. He, it wasn't really a choice. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the way you looked at it. Mm-hmm. But that's amazing that you could get your head around it and make that decision and say, right, yeah. I have to be here for Seamus. How old is your little boy? He's 12. Yeah, 12 going on 25. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too so smart. you were saying he made his confirmation recently? Yeah, um, we'd actually uh, a very busy May. My uh, sister got married in Mayo at the start of May. Then my best friend uh, the following week in Italy. I was bridesmaids for both of them. And then the week after that, um, we came back on the Thursday from Italy and Seamus made his confirmation on the Saturday in Turmfacken. So and in the middle of all of this, you're waiting for results. Yeah, I got back from Italy and I had two scans. Uh, there's a PET scan and an MRI. They check for different uh, well heat signals is the main thing because mm. y- you can have cancer in one area, but they like to check all the areas around to make sure they're treating it appropriately. So, yeah, I had two smears. I said that was probably quite hard. I came home from this high of a being abroad, which I don't go uh, abroad often to see my best friend and my sister getting married and then home to plan for confirmation and in between it all fit in scan. So it was a little, yeah. uh, I don't know, it was stressful so much as annoying, <laughs> bad timing. <laughs> 
So you're just a bit annoyed with the cancer. Yeah. It was bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> it did, yeah. It, it was a bad time. But yeah, I suppose I was lucky I could have been still in treatment or had to miss stuff, but I was able to attend everything and yeah. a great support network. So it really was, it, it was a really good time. And how about Seamus's confirmation? You didn't tell him. You found out, did you, just before that? Um, so he, he knew I had cancer, but I didn't mm. tell him. So... Well, he kind of throughout the treatment, you go for different appointments. So before, I did tell him I was going to see the doctor. I did tell him I was getting some results, but I didn't make it to be the it's gone or it's not gone kind of scenario because it's just a little too big for him. He's 12 and he's amazing, yeah. but he shouldn't really have to be thinking whether or not I'm cured. So I think he just kind of thought that I was waiting for results. He didn't question mm. as to what results. So yeah. um, when I went in on the Wednesday, um and uh, I didn't know what I would be coming out to. So I came back out and I picked him up from school and I told him that all the cancer was gone. And he was a little surprised because he definitely hadn't expected that conversation. Um, And he just smiled like just absolutely wonderful. I could have stopped traffic with this big yeah. smile and just delighted. Yeah. So, And then he goes, oh, that's brilliant. Gave me a hug and said, oh, I'm off with my pals. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. So he was just, it was probably just a weight lifted from him as well. Yeah, and, and he, he could just, just go and Yeah, he just looks like so, like an innocent 12 year old without the weight of his mom's cancer on his shoulders all of a sudden. So it was nice. Oh, that's brilliant. So tell mm. me about this blog you've started up. First of all, I love the name of it. Cervical cancer is a bitch. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. it really really so is. Tell me about that. Well, it started, it wasn't like a deliberate like thought process so much as way back when uh, I got the news and at that time, as I said, there was so much bad negativity and I I didn't. But if you Google cervical cancer, you'll just scare yourself straight that you'll just <gasps> yeah. not go any further. So the only information I used was that from the Cancer Society. Um, but then I suppose I just felt like I had so much information to share and just I suppose a, a wide network of friends and family all over the place and people were asking things so I think it was my friend or my sister just suggested that I should do a blog or a diary I think and then I just mm. was um, in the hospital and I just picked up the iPad and started writing a blog one time so yeah I just wanted to share my story I suppose and make people aware of it and I mean it's it's far more common than it should be cancer they're saying it'd be one in two in the next year or so yeah. so uh, I mean there's no I didn't do anything wrong to get um, cervical cancer so I kind of felt like I'm strong enough that I'm able to deal with it and I think that if I, I just felt like blessed that I was strong enough and that sharing the story just it really helped me a lot because it helped me I said to tell my story so I could follow it myself also I just got so many people supporting me who I knew and people who I hadn't seen in 20 years so and total strangers messaging me I have a girl at the minute messaging me um, going through treatment and she randomly found the blog and she just said that she found it really helpful because we're the same age and virtually the same story and so I suppose if you can see someone a few steps ahead of you it's helpful to try and follow that journey Yeah absolutely so it's helping people around the world people who you've never met and probably never will meet but it's absolutely helpful for everybody out there so it's, yeah. it's it's a great initiative that you've done so where can we find the blog it's if you it's uh, cer- cervicalcancerisabitch.com <laughs> <laughs> or I'm on Facebook Instagram and Twitter which has also been really good for people to share their um, help and support with uh, yeah. me as well and uh, you want to talk to me about the HPV vaccine now that's that's back in the news again of course and, and it, I was saying to you off air that it um, the first we heard of it was about 13 years ago when 
my own daughter was 13 and, and it was it was offered at her school. Um, you're urging people to get the HPV. Yeah, um, so I finished uh, secondary school 2003 or four, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't available. Had I got mm. it, I wouldn't have just had to go through cancer treatment. I wouldn't be in menopause. I wouldn't be sterile. I'd be 33 in a very different mindset. As like cancer's given me so much positive, but it's taken so much away from me. The fact that this particular cancer has like a cure, it can be prevented. Um, it's just something that we shouldn't forget. Um, also, this year for the first time in Ireland, it's available for boys. I have a son who's 12. He's going into St Oliver's. He will be getting the vaccine. Um, yeah, like there is so many now negative versions of every story but the fact is this vaccine works so if we can prevent other people going down that my path we'd be silly not to give it to our children and that's that would be my opinion and I think if people are doubtful if you go to hpv.ie it's just full of information from the HSE um, and just be informed and make the decision and if you decide no I mean I just hope you're making it based on accurate information and not some scaremongering that's Because there was online. an awful lot of scaremongering out there mm-hmm. and it stopped an awful lot of people getting that vaccine, didn't it? Yeah. We have a couple of texts in for you. Um, one lady says, following Eileen's story on LMFM since the first interview from the hospital, absolutely delighted for her wish her all the best and a long future with her son. Oh, wow. Another one says, Eileen, you go girl. You <laughs> remained so bubbly and strong through it all. Now you and your son can really smile and look forward to the summer. That's Lovely amazing. text. So mm-hmm. tell us about the summer. Any plans or what are your plans for the rest of the year? I suppose it's I, I only got the all clear on Wednesday. Today's Monday. It's so I kind of feel, in. yeah, I feel like a bit deliriously cautious. Um, I suppose I, I'm, the doctor said it'd be six months post treatment before I'm kind of back. So I'm still quite tired and I'm, menopause is a, like something I hadn't encountered before, obviously. And it's at 33. I that's, yeah, that's <laughs> I can't a believe tough more one. women don't give out about it because it really is not nice. <laughs> but yeah. uh, if it's the worst, I have Tell to Tell me about to, it. Yeah. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I feel like I could live in the freezer one moment and then in the oven the next. It's really not good. But um, I suppose I just want to enjoy um, my son. Um, I'm hoping my brother lives in Canada. So I'm hoping all going well to maybe try and visit him. Yeah. Just right. I suppose I'm blessed that I can have a little bit of time off work before I have to go back. So just, I suppose, make the most of it. And I suppose it was a horrendous thing to get cancer, but it has made me appreciate every minute I'm here to be around my friends and family and like just I so I keep saying just don't sweat the small stuff like because it really yeah. isn't worth it. Yeah exactly that's what I was going to say to you if anyone's out there listening and they're moaning because it's going to rain again later mm-hmm. this evening you know or something small has gone wrong in their life or the car is a flat tyre or something I mean what would you say to people you know? I'd say you know the plants need a bit of rain and you know <laughs> walk you lose a bit of weight there's always every negative thought you can have you really just dig deep and you'll find the positive. Um, I just like the people around uh, the area have just been just phenomenal and I don't think I'd be right here in front of you being able to be so happy and grateful without that and I think yeah these people do have an awful shot sorry excuse my language <laughs> day but you know tomorrow's a new day and it will be better I think you know yeah exactly your positivity is infectious <laughs> your smile is infectious thank you you look absolutely amazing I'm delighted you were well enough to come into studio and honest to God I wish you the best for the future with yourself thank and you. Seamus and a happy future 
future going forward. You look fantastic. Continued good health, Eileen. Thanks can, a million. Can I just also just oh, yeah. know, ask people uh, to consider donating blood? Uh, 67% of all the blood donations are used in cancer treatment. I myself had to get blood platelets to get the mm. treatment, which ultimately got rid of cancer. So just uh, if you look up uh, blood.e, they have clinics all over and I would really urge more people my age to consider doing so. Very good Thanks. message. <laughs> Thanks a million for that, Eileen. It's lovely to see Thank you looking you. so well. Thanks a million. Take care. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Welcome back to Late Lunch. Remember, you can text us or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Now, a heartbroken lady has offered a reward for the return of a cherished pendant, which was lost in Navan last week. Susan Callan is desperate to find the necklace, which was given to her when her grandmother died a number of years ago. She joins me now on the line. Hi, Susan. Hi, how are you? Great, thanks, Susan. Thanks a million for joining us. Tell me about this necklace. Yeah, well, basically, um, as you've just mentioned, my grandmother passed away a number of years ago and myself and my grandmother, I'm the firstborn granddaughter um, and I happened to share uh, the month that I was born with my grandmother who had passed away. So ultimately, we had the same birthstone, i.e. the ruby. Um, On her death, um, I was given, or shortly after her death, I was given um, a pendant that my grandfather had given to my grandmother almost 50 years ago as a Christmas gift and um, basically I used to I, I cherish it because I don't wear it very often mm. and mm. two weeks ago um, my son had his first Holy Communion on the 25th so I took it out so I had my, my grandmother close to my heart on the day yeah. and uh, I wore it for a few days afterwards uh, I forgot to kind of take it off you know yourself kind of yeah, as you do. yeah as you do and um, I noticed I knew I had it on me all week and I noticed on Friday, I'd got into, gone into work as usual, um, was wearing the pendant. And at 20 past three that afternoon, I put my hand up to my chest because I'm always fiddling with it when I am wearing it. Yeah. And I noticed that it was gone. It was gone. It was gone. Right. Now I panicked and I said to one of my colleagues, oh God, I lost my, my, my chain. And she knew kind of the, the meaning behind you know, yeah. why I was wearing it, etc. And ultimately, uh, she said to me, oh, no, one of the girls at reception is it gold. And I said, yes. And she said, one of the girls at reception has it. So I got up and I went to the receptionist and I asked, asked her, you know, was it, was it there? And she said, yeah, but there's no pendant on it. So ultimately right. what had happened, I think, is that at some point during the day from about quarter past half nine in the morning on the Friday, the mm. first June, um, the pendant, um, the chain became loose and opened uh, because the chain clasp didn't actually break. And obviously the pendant fell off the chain. Right. The chain I found, but unfortunately the pendant is gone. Oh, so you have the chain part of it. I have the chain part of it, yeah, which is the part that I don't want. Yeah, you want the pendant. So, <laughs> exactly. so it's, a, it's a ruby stone, is it? It's a ruby stone. Um, How big is it, Susan? Nine carat, it's a nine carat yellow gold um, uh, pendant that's about the size of a five cent piece. Okay. Um, and in the middle of it, you'd notice the, the, the ruby stone in the, uh, in the middle of it. But it looks kind of like a sun shape. Um, just with the gold around it and then the the ruby birthstone in the middle of it. All right, okay. So let's retrace your steps. I'm sure you've done it. Everyone says to you, oh, where did you lose it? You say, oh, sure, if I knew that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. If I had a penny for every time it was said to me over the last week or so, I tell you, I'd be rich. 
But look, um, yeah. So yeah, you, well, let's retrace your steps. So first of all, where you work in the Idea Business Park in Johnstown. I do. I work in the Idea Business Park in Johnstown in a shared building, prepaid financial services and Collinson Insurance. Okay. Um, and that was June 1st, you reckon you lost it. And you had it on in the morning yeah. when you went to work. Yes. And then you right. went out to a meeting in the Valerie's Garms at quarter past yeah. nine. Exactly. Now I did. I was yeah. in contact with the guys in Chocnatarok and they've said yeah. that nothing was handed in. They checked all around the area. I've been in a couple park of and everything, since. yeah. Yeah, I'd gone back to the office, obviously, after that meeting. And the only other time I'd left the office was to grab a sandwich in the Apple Green. Um, At the on, retail park, is it there? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. In the Navin retail park. And I went back to the office. And that was when I discovered that it had, I had lost it. OK. All right. So you have retraced your steps and you've looked at all those areas and you've asked around the area as well. So you decided then to go public with it and, and, and put up a reward. I did. Look, at the end of the day, it's priceless to me. It's probably not worth a whole lot to anybody else. It's it's not particularly expensive. Mm. It, as I said, it's quite small. So that's it, like we're looking for a needle in a haystack. But I'm just hoping that maybe somebody came across it, saw it on the ground, picked it up, maybe put it in their wallet and forgot about it. Mm. And I'm just I'm desperate to try every avenue I can to get it back because of the sentimentality of it. And I'm willing to offer a reward to you know, if it's returned to me, I would be forever <laughs> grateful. Um, so, yeah, I am absolutely willing to, to give a reward out for the return of it if, if, if that, that is what can and happen. Susan, I presume you've put this on your Facebook page and anywhere else on social media, have you? I did. I put it up on my Facebook page. And do you have a photograph of the necklace at all? That's the one thing. Because it's so small, I did have photographs obviously taken at the communion. Um, but unfortunately, it was hidden behind just the collar of the dress that I was wearing. Um, I have shared a photograph of something that looks similar because I can't find it's 50 years old. So these are the types yeah. of things that you wouldn't get in a, yeah. in a typical kind of jewellery shop. Yeah. So I have kind of located an image that looks something similar, mm. but it's quite distinct. It's just gold on the outside with a little red ruby stone on the inside of it. So I, okay. I, I have shared that as well. So if anyone was around on Friday morning, June the 1st, uh, the IDA Business Park in Johnstown or out on the at the Ballery Scarms on the Trim Road or back in Apple Green in the Navin Retail Park around lunchtime and, and you found a little red stone, little ruby, um, you can contact us here at LMFM if you have found it and we'll pass on your details to Susan or Susan, we can find you on your Facebook page, I presume. You can, absolutely. Yeah, my Facebook page is Susan Callan, so it's very straightforward. <laughs> Susan, no problem finding me. the best of luck. The best Thank of luck. So, so hopefully much. someone out there will, have, will, will hear this and someone might have come across it and we'll get it back to you. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Thanks, Thanks a million, Susan. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The story. Thanks, bye-bye. bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Don't forget you can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Now, a Drogheda film director is the force behind a new female body image documentary which questions why we think we need to be a size zero to wear a bikini. Jenny McQuail is on the line to me from New York. How are you, Jenny? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So you've really hit a subject very, very close to my heart, Jenny. 
<laughs> I think it sounds to every woman's heart, really, at this point. Everybody who's not a size zero, yeah. So <laughs> tell me about this new documentary, Straight Curve. It's going to be out here, released here in Ireland on iTunes this week. But what made you come up with the idea? Where did you get the idea for it? I mean, I think this film is really for anybody who's ever looked in the mirror and felt, you know, not so great about themselves. And um, just as a woman in and having a body and talking to other women, it, it became really obvious that we are perpetuating this kind of one standard of beauty in the fashion industry, in the media, and it's having a serious and very negative and damaging effect, particularly on our next generation of girls. And I think that's kind of was the real heart of the story for me was talking to teenage girls about how damaging this is for them. Yeah, because what do teenage girls think? That there's one ideal of beauty, one perfection, and that's it. If you're not that, you're nothing. Exactly. And if you're not that, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve to be loved or you don't deserve success. You don't deserve to to get that dream job, you know, it kind of, it is debilitating and it is stopping people from really reaching their full potential. And I don't think we talk about this enough. I don't think we kind of realize the actual damaging effect just having these negative thoughts about your body can have. And now we're into the summer and hopefully we might get some decent weather here and, and all of the teenage girls would be worried sick about, well, I can't wear this and I can't wear that because I'm not a size zero. It's ridiculous. Exactly. And it's, I mean, uh, like I keep saying, it's, it's very, very damaging. And I think, but you know, there, there is some hope out here. I started trying to make the film about five years ago. And since then, I have seen a lot of change coming from the fashion industry and being reflected in the media. And I think that's what, what is necessary. I think we're seeing different sized bodies out there right now. We're seeing bodies that are not photoshopped in ad campaigns. So we see the cellulite, we see the, the thigh dimples. And, you know, and all of that just starts to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves because we're seeing ourselves reflected, right? We're seeing bodies that look a little bit more like ours. And that can only serve to, to empower people as opposed to really kind of tear us down. So I see Straight Curve will be released this week here, here in Ireland on iTunes. Tell me a little bit about it and the type of people involved in making this documentary, Jenny. Sure. Um, the, I mean, the film is about the people, the pioneering people in the fashion industry who are really fighting these unrealistic beauty standards out there. And for me, it was really important to tell this story through the lens of the fashion industry because I fully believe that they are at the heart of the issue. I believe that the fashion industry is responsible for this crisis we're having. And for real change to happen, it has to happen deep within the fashion industry and, and be reflected in the media and the imagery that we're all consuming on a daily basis. So, you know, we spoke to these incredible models, we spoke to fashion designers, we spoke to photographers, we spoke to magazine editors, and um, the within the film, we showcased 12 women of different sizes and shapes and ages and colors and, and created the imagery that we should be be seeing more of in the fashion industry and in the media. So kind of creating that alternate reality of, of what things could look like if we used women that looked a little bit more like the rest of us. But skinny seems to be the in thing since the 60s, since Twiggy was around. It always seems to be if you're not skinny, you're not really much. You know, right. that you, that you didn't really have any value, that you couldn't wear this and you can't wear that. And that shop you can't go into because it doesn't do anything above a size 12. You know, I, I mean, it, go way, way back to the 60s. But then if you go back farther than that, the Renaissance women, the, the, the Renaissance art, all those women were curvy. 
they had tummies, God forbid. And what about Marilyn Monroe? Go back to Marilyn Monroe. She was a size 16, a beautiful woman. Like, when did things change, do you think? And uh, to be a size zero, I know I'm rambling a bit now, but when I was growing up, nobody was a size zero. It didn't exist. I think a 10 or an 8 was the smallest you could be. And I mean, and that's, that's about actual sizing of clothes. So they have changed the grading and the sizing of clothes to create these numbers to make people diet, you know? So the, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And, the, you know, a size zero now may have been like an actual like size six or eight decades ago. But mm. we call it a size zero because it seems like something everybody wants to be. So there's, there's a lot of that going on as well, which we have to kind of, realize and not feed into and i think like you say through time beauty standards and ideals have changed and shifted and there's always been people who represent something else and i think what's important now is that we also don't start skinny shaming people you know i think what's really important in the message of the film is that there's space for everybody you know whether you are a size zero or you're a size 20 there is space and you should be able to see yourself reflected out there in the fashion industry, in the media. You should see yourself on screen. You should be able to buy clothes to fit your body. And I think that's a big conversation that we overlook, mm. this, this fact that some people literally cannot get dressed in the morning. Well, one statistic from the documentary stood out to me when I when I read through this. Nine out of ten women and young girls do not feel represented in the fashion industry or in the media, and the imagery they consume on a daily basis makes them feel disgusting. Really? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's shocking. I think it's shocking. The, the, the teenage girls that I spoke to in the film that day, I just, I, I cried in between every interview that I did because, you know, these, these vulnerable teenagers sat in front of me and were very open and very honest with how they were feeling, which was, you know, incredible to begin with. But hearing them say that they feel less than and they, they feel disgusting and, it's just we are the adults here. We are the people who actually are the ones putting this messaging out into the world. And we're the ones responsible for this. And we have to change it. And, you know, I think we, we sometimes forget the cumulative effects of yeah. constantly seeing these, these images. And there's another statistic in the film that is that our brain processes images 60,000 times faster than words. So if you think about the culture that we're living in now, where it's co- just photos everywhere, like on mm. social media, ad campaigns, newspapers, buses, TV, yeah. like it is, we are being bombarded. So, but in that way, we have a chance, if we change that imagery, we have a chance to change the perspective because it is so powerful. So, you know, I think it's time that we just think about everything in reverse and think about what we can do to change this and, and stop wallowing maybe in the problems but look to solutions so when you see the ad campaign that says uh, get bikini ready that makes you mad does that make you angry very mad <laughs> i mean what the hell is bikini ready what does that mean what does it mean i mean you put a bikini on your body and you're ready off you go like, <laughs> you've got a body you've got a bikini put it on right. that's it <laughs> i mean it's like i said earlier the the diet industry is this multi-billion dollar industry that feeds off our insecurities. But I honestly also believe from making this film that women now and our next generation of teenagers, we no longer are buying into products that are making us feel terrible about ourselves. 
we are now spending money on brands that want to empower us. And you can see the shift in advertising since kind of the, the Mad Men era. There's, mm. it, you know, it, it's just not, I don't want to spend my money on a brand that makes me feel terrible about my body or myself or my mind. You mm-hmm. know, I want to give money to people who are building me up as a woman, as a person in this world. And I think that that's the future. And, and I feel kind of hopeful about that. We have a text in on WhatsApp, a question for you. A lady says, we also need to boost confidence among larger ladies. Have you noticed plus size people often wear baggy clothes or keep their hands out and try to hide their body or, or they get tattoos or body piercings or dye their hair to deflect from their size because they're so self-conscious? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the baggy clothes, yes, because there are no fashionable clothes to fit your body. And that's a problem. And I think in America, that is starting to change. And it's trickling down to the high street, which means it's going to trickle down, you know, in Ireland as well. And and I think that's really, really necessary. Women who are a size, you know, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, they deserve to wear fashionable clothes just as much as someone who's a size zero. And I think the, the tattooing and the piercing is, is really interesting in a way that I don't know if I've ever even thought about that. But it's it's true, right? We all kind of create diversions sometimes away from mm. what we want to hide. So. Yeah, great question. Well, Love Island is back on the TV here again. I don't, do you get that in the United States? It's on TV. No, but I keep reading about it. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't watch it, but I watched it for research purposes the other night. So all the people on there are all in their bikinis and the, the guys in their swimming shorts. They're close to perfect. They call this reality television. That's surely a joke in itself. This is not reality. <laughs> But you also just mentioned something interesting there with guys, right? So this isn't just a problem for women and girls. And I think that's something else that's really important to talk about, that men and boys are suffering from these insecurities just as much as women and mm-hmm. girls. And that's think, true. Yeah. You know, if you're a mom to a boy, don't think that this isn't going to touch him because it, it is. And, and I think it's in a different way. And it's, it's very kind of intrinsically linked to a sense of masculinity and kind of what it is to be a man and be strong and, and be this protector. And, but it, it is an equal issue. And, and there's a lot of men being diagnosed with eating disorders now. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, where it used to be very much a female thing. Yeah, you're dead right. So Straight Curve released um, in Ireland this week on iTunes. Jenny, looking forward to seeing it. And thanks a million for taking the time to talk to us all the way from New York. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Have Take care. Bye bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, a former councillor is calling on local authorities to provide practical support after she discovered she was not entitled to sign on after she lost her seat in the local elections. Sinead Burke recently lost her seat on Meath County Council where she sat for the last five years as a Sinn Féin councillor and she joins me now on the line. Sinead, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Hi Joan, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks a million for joining us. So just before, Sinead, you want to be very clear, this is not sour grapes. You've accepted that you've lost your seat. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely, Joan. And can I say first of all, before I even go into this, I'm very conscious after listening to your first guest this afternoon and, and what Eileen has been through. What I'm talking about now is really in the halfpenny place, really as regards to there's much bigger issues out there. Um, however, 
I, I, I wrote last week um, in the local paper with regards to the, the position that ex-councillors find themselves in. And it was something that I was unaware of. And there's a few myths, first of all, around county councillors. There, there's a, and we don't like speaking about it, I think, that by nature Irish people don't like discussing money. And, no, we don't, no. You know, and, and certainly when you're a public representative, you really don't like speaking about how much you earn or what you get and that kind of thing. So before I even go into what happens after you lose your seat, um, county councillors are paid €300 Euro a week. Really? Uh, yes. That's all? That's all. And you get €300 Euro per week. That comes with, That's two payments during the month. So um, the €600 Euro every fortnight you get. Right. And then on top of that then you get an extra 400 euro for expenses. That, that's once a month. Okay, you get the 400 euro. Okay. So out of the 400 euro in my case I was renting, I was contributing to the rent of an office and then obviously you have quite a lot of mileage and petrol. Um, you have your broadband, you have postage, you have printing, you have your phone of course is a huge resource that you need. Mm-hmm. And then also then if you're sending out newsletters or dropping leaflets through doors and the whole lot. That, that all racks up. So so why would you want to do it, Sinead? <laughs> well, certainly not for the money. Um, no. But and it's an awful lot of work and hardship. And why would you want it? Well, I think, look, you do it because I think you feel at that point you, you have it in you and, you and you want to give it a go. You know, yeah. uh, like I'm, I'm being very, um, be very clear about this. Every single county councillor that's elected is in there for the right reasons. And to be honest, I have very low tolerance for people who say, oh, you're only in it for the money or you're only in it for the glory. Or, First of all, there's not a lot of glory and there's even less money. But you're in it to try and make a difference, that you see particular problems in your area and you mm. think, you know what, I'd like to get stuck in there and make the place a little bit better. I have some ideas. I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah. So, so that's number one. But th- then that brings me on to my next point is, because the money is so low, that, is, that prohibits an awful lot of people becoming county councillors. Because unless you are retired, or unless you own your own business, or unless, in my case, I gave up a very good job that I had to be a full-time county councillor, because I knew it was such a privilege, and I knew it was such an important job, that I wanted to do it right. And I felt that I couldn't juggle two jobs. I, w- I was doing a disservice to everybody, my, my employer and the council and, more importantly, my constituents as well. So unless you've got somebody at home who's able to take over paying the main bills, mm-hmm. you're not going to become a county councillor. But you spent five years there and, and, and now it's gone from you. Like, And you it's say, gone. this is not sour grapes. You've accepted no, you, no, you lost your seat, no, no, fair no. and square. You, but can I take you back to that moment, Sinead, when you realised the seat was lost? Where, where it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where were you at the time? <laughs> oh, yeah, it doesn't get any more tragic or pathetic <laughs> as this, Joan. Uh, because I'd been out canvassing so much, things had been let slide a little bit of the home front. And uh, the, the washing machine had broken down a couple of weeks before that. Right. And I have two kids. And one of them has an illegal slime factory operating out of one of their bedrooms. <laughs> so you know yourself, a washing machine is paramount to the workings of a good household. The washing was meeting out the door going in, was it? It was. So <laughs> I was putting the money into one of the pay machines, you know, when the... Oh, at the garages, yeah, yeah. I was rooting around to see if I had an extra two euro coin, you know, because you can get the conditioner. Yeah. The fancy <laughs> cycle. Um, and then my, I was doing that and uh, obviously I'd been at the tally the day before and I knew that I was a goner once I seen the, yeah. the second box, second round of boxes opening. Yeah. I knew I was a goner so I decided, you know what, I'll just do something practical here and I'll do all the washing I should have done for the last month. The glamorous life you lead, hey? The glamorous life, of yeah. And uh, my cousin rang and said, I'm sorry, Pet, you're gone. They've just eliminated you. And how did you feel? Uh, I felt like I'd been in a bad car crash. Oh, Lord, right. I've been honest with you now. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was devastated now. I was devastated because, God, I loved it. And I spent five years, I hope, um, doing some good. And it certainly did me good. And it certainly did my family good. And it certainly did my kids good, I have to say. So in the space of a couple of minutes, you went from being extraordinarily busy <laughs> to not having anything to do. Zero to zero. Besides housework. But listen, I, I mean, I can't reiterate this enough, Joan. I accepted the people's vote when they first elected me and I certainly accept the people's vote this time round as well. It's not about, I I was very privileged, it was a fantastic five years, but you know what? Someone else will employ me. I will go on and do some other amazing things. So, you know, it's not about that. But Mm. what I did get a land about was the next week um, went into uh, the intro office uh, to sign on. Right. And um, it turns out that county councillors have been charged, are being charged as a self-employed person. So we paid the PRSI and the PAYE rate of self-employed. So according to, and I, I uh, contacted Revenue and I contacted the department and I even rang um, Minister Regina Doherty on it and uh, said, this this can't be right, you know. I, I'm not self-employed. I wasn't self-employed. I was county councillor. But to all intents and purposes, I was. And then the practical um, consequences of that is that any um, job seekers' um, allowance that you go on must be means-tested. Okay. 
So hmm. I was very lucky. Mr. Burke has a good job. He can pay the bills here. Um, so I'm going to fail a means test. And look, at that, that yeah. is what it is as well. But not many people, there would, there would be people who lost their seats in the last week are going in and having very uncomfortable conversations with the staff in the local employment offices and I'm, offices, and I'm sure they're going to get a surprise. And it's, it's, it's a nasty surprise to get. And furthermore, it's not even that you'd be collecting a few bob a week um, that some people will badly need um, while they're signing on. But while I can't collect a few bob a week, I'm also not on the live register because I'm not in receipt of a social payment. So you actually don't exist? I don't exist. And also, I can't access a lot of the training that would be available to you if you were on the live Yeah. So if, it's a strange feeling to be in that, say, two weeks ago, I was the best girl going about, and, you know, you have your name and your picture in the Chronicle, mm-hmm. and I would have been on the Michael Reed show, and, you know, you would have a visible... Uh, presence and you would be of service you would be have been something but today i don't actually exist that's unreal tell me about the reaction from people in the street though this surprised you did it when you meet people you knew on the street it did it did um people just uh, they didn't want to walk by me they didn't want to acknowledge me um and it was like you know i was down in the shopping center and no, I could see people and they were, they were eyeing me and they could see me coming up, coming towards them. They were literally like walking and turning into walls just so they <laughs> wouldn't have to walk by me. Are you sure, Sinead, or were you hypersensitive yeah. just after what had happened? Are you sure? I, I twigged it and I, I was down with my husband and my two kids and I, I twigged it, but I didn't say anything because um, I was mm. kind of embarrassed about it, to be yeah. honest. And um, it was only when we got home, my husband was he was in queer humour and I was kind of thinking there's something wrong with him I said what is wrong with you and he turned around and goes I cannot believe the way you were treated down the town so he yeah and he 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 noticed it too it wasn't just me and you know what I think it comes from a couple of different places do you know I mean there could have been a few that were just embarrassed and probably didn't know what to say to you exactly and then there was maybe others who kind of said well I didn't vote for this time. I'm glad she's out, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk to her either. Yeah. And then there was maybe some as well that just felt a bit guilty that they had to vote it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a combination, I'd say. So what do you think should happen now? You, you say that local authorities should have some kind of support system for, for, for former councillors. What, what do you mean, Sinead? I do. Well, you see, the thing is, if I was working in, you know, I'm sure if I was working in LMFM or if I was working in Woody's or Tower Mines or something, hmm. you know, you, when you when your contract comes to an end, there is some semblance of an aftercare service. And what I mean by that is nearly like a human resources person that you could go to and they can say, right, Sinead, these are your options here. You're eligible for this. You're not eligible for that. Yeah. And, do you know that kind of way? Mm. I think even that doesn't exist while you're actually a counsellor as well. So yeah. What, what people don't realise, say, for example, if you might have a problem with Say a difficulty arises between yourself and maybe another counsellor, okay? But there's actually no contract of behaviour that you sign. There's no, there's no one person to go to the council and say, look, I'm having an issue with this person. I'm having an issue with okay. that person. Okay, so you're on your own. You really are on your own and, and, and more than I ever thought. Hmm. Um, so look, I'm not giving out. I'm I know. flagging it because 
there isn't, I, I can say this now, I was laughing there to somebody else, I was saying, do you know what, I'm not a public representative, so the filter is off now. Yeah. I don't have to watch what I say as much. <laughs> You can relax for a while, but what about the future, Sinead? Are you done? Are you done with politics? I don't know. It's too early to tell, Joan. To be honest with you, as I'm talking to you now, I'm actually writing out my CV. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, okay. So I better go and get a job first, and uh, and then I'll, then I'll have a look around, and then I'll see. But the first priority is to get the summer over with the kids, and yeah. get the CV out, and hopefully someone will employ me, and then I'll, then I'll see. Then relax I'll see. for a while. Yeah. Best of luck to you. I'm sure this isn't the last we'll hear of Sinead Burke. Thanks, Joan. Thanks a million for chatting to me today, Sinead. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. Welcome back to Late Lunch and you can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Now, two Meath fashion designers are heading off to New York later this week. Claire O'Connor from Dunboyne and Carol O'Connor from Navin began collaborating with each other when they first met at an awards show last March. Now, for the next while, we're going to talk about fashion and sustainable fashion here on Late Lunch. First of all, Claire O'Connor, Carol O'Connor, welcome to Late Lunch. You're not related? No, not at all. Not related in any way? So Carol is from Navin and has a degree in fine art and was working in an admin job and hating it. Is that right? Yeah. I, I won't go too much into it, but yeah, I'm a, a maker at heart. Okay. So I was for three years in Solstice and most of it, you know, it's absolutely lovely work in the gallery, but a lot of it admin. And I think I, like I am a painter and I really just wanted to be making and, you know, so it didn't suit completely. So yeah. then how did you get into making headpieces um, and hats? I, I was doing a computer course as part of the job and I saw all the ladies going uh, in the evening with their boxes of materials to the millinery class and I, I just wanted to do the millinery. I was je- I was jealous, really. So when when I got the chance... I said, right, I'm going to do a course. So I enrolled in Grafton Academy and I did uh, a course there and loved it. it I didn't even hooked, know you could really. do a course on, yeah. on on making. I just thought it was somebody like Philip Tracy, for example, who's just yeah. brilliant and just does it. I didn't know you could learn how to do it. Yeah, a lot of people would go and intern with the milliner because I'm in like a family situation. I have husband, two children. My, my one daughter was in college. My husband had gone back to college. So I wasn't able to go and intern like that. Mm. So the next for me was doing a course. So so there's loads of private courses in millinery in oh, Ireland. Okay, yeah. now I'm sitting opposite you here and you have a box full of beautiful creations, multicoloured headpieces here. But I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, could I wear those? I mean, can anybody wear it? They're absolutely stunning. Yeah, like what I brought here today, um, a lot of them are... Um, and the work that's going to this is the work that's going to New York. This is kind of me with my dream. So okay. um, these are occasion hats or fascinators for special and for occasions. Race wear, race a lot wear, of the yeah. time. Maybe weddings yeah. are they a little bit too um, elaborate. For you weddings. could for sure. Could. I've done pieces like this uh, for weddings. Now they're for somebody brave. I was just going to say yeah. you want to be very brave. Yeah, I wish this was are. television so the listeners could yeah. see it. But we have an array of colours. And, uh, and how would you describe that almost concertinaed effect? Yeah, it's origami. So they're using the origami methods. Okay. And, uh, pleated. 
yeah, pleated, pleated millinery. Um, yeah, and so then, the back of it's red, and the other yeah. side of it is purple, green, black. It's beautiful. Yeah. So one side has, and I think it's nice to have two different fabrics. One yeah. side is just a satin fabric. The other side is my own fabric that I've designed. So they're based on my uh, paintings and collages. Yeah. So, so they, you take inspiration yeah. from your painting yeah. and, and, and turn these into headpieces. And Claire, can I come to you for a second? Sitting here adorned in a beautiful yellow, blue, orange, green scarf. Absolutely gorgeous. And you loaned me one for a photograph earlier. So if anyone wants to see the hats and scarves, you can log on to our Facebook page there. How did you get involved? How did you, for, or had you always an interest in fashion? Um, well, I was originally a graphic designer and um, then 10 years ago, I, I just, I felt very frustrated working in that field and I just felt that it was, um, it wasn't creative enough for me. So like, like Carol, I, I changed career and 10 years ago, I went back to study painting and printmaking. Mm-hmm. And um, then directly after I graduated, I had an opportunity then to go and work as an artist assistant in Berlin. So oh, I had a wow. bit of an, an experience in Berlin where I worked for Great two different city. artists. Yeah, it was very, very creative and perfect place for, for artists to go and artists from all over the world, you know, yeah. congregate in Berlin. And even like 10 years ago, it was an awful lot cheaper and it was an awful lot, you know, kind of a little bit more more exclusive than it, it would be now. Um, but I had a brilliant experience then there. And then afterwards, I came back to Ireland and I was um, doing some printmaking workshops and then I got an opportunity to go to Venice. Wow. So um, in Venice, I was supposed to be running a print studio, but unfortunately, they had no money. <laughs> and um, they, but they, uh, I decided to kind of turn it into a positive And I just, I really loved You went anyway. I went anyway, yes. And I created, I had a great opportunity to create a lot of, a lot of paintings over there. It was a really creative period for me. And while I was there, that's where I got the, the idea of making scarves and kind of going into the fashion side of things because my paintings are very, very colourful. They're full of colour and pattern. And mm. a lot of friends were saying to me, God, they be fabulous dresses or they'd be fabulous jackets or yeah. shirts or scarves and um, so that's kind of where the idea came and I went then up to, to Como and I, I checked out some different manufacturers and um, I started then like I was working as as a, an English teacher and I was working as a tour guide and a wedding celebrant <laughs> and within my spare time yeah um, to keep I, going with the main passion with the main passion yeah, yeah I, I got um, I got some samples made so I, I went through a series of a couple of different manufacturers and then finally got the correct one and um, then to, I kind of can I just ask you about the, the materials that you use because I did have this scarf around my neck a few minutes ago and the fabric is beautiful yeah the, the fabric that I'm they're all 100% silk um, and yeah, I also beautiful. do um, some cashmere modal ranges as well mm. um, but the silk that I use is the most expensive it's the silk crepe de chine and okay. um, I find that for the large scarves it's lovely and flowy it's, it's very silky um, yeah. and it, it, it also it kind of uh, shows the colours of my paintings really well. And where do you source the fabric from? All of it comes from Como. Oh, it's so all from Northern Italy. Yeah, all from okay, Northern and Italy. why is that? That you can't? Do you have to? Is it the only place you can where they can make these? Yeah, well, within Europe, yeah. um, Como is is the most famous place in in Europe for for silk. Okay, and, um, in Ireland, we don't have any types of manufacturing for silk anymore. Um, oh, right, it never okay. would have been a famous country for silk. No, no, indeed we wouldn't, no. So can I pop back over here mm-hmm. to this lovely, beautiful box of hats and tell me, I'm curious because they are very daring. And the, what is the what is the most daring hat that you've ever made? 
Can you, I see, you yeah, see this one here? I would say it's yeah. this pink one. I was yeah, just looking yeah, at that because, it is, yeah. can you describe that for us? Because it's out of this world. Um, it's a bit like wings, I think, mm. on your head. Or so a big bird's beak. Yeah, and it's very sculptural. And, and it sits in, it, it's hard to describe it. We will put a picture of yeah. this on, on, our, on our Facebook page, but it's like a big pink bird's beak and then with wings out of the, is that fair to say it, it is what it, it reminds me of it is like that I'm and it just pins to your head um the, i'm in the process of making the band i mean <laughs> as we speak the band okay. is going yeah so it sits on a hair it band, will sit basically. on a hair band yeah okay yeah. they're fabulous girls we have to take a break for a minute so you'll stay with us we'll be back after these ads Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch where I'm chatting with Claire O'Connor and Carol O'Connor about their beautiful fashions here in front of me. We've been talking silk scarves and bespoke headpieces and hats here. But we're just wondering, where's the market for this, ladies? I mean, you're going to New York on Wednesday. You're hoping to pick up some buyers. Can you tell us anything about that trip or who you're planning to meet over there? Yeah, um, we just kind of feel that... Ireland is like we do. There is a market in Ireland for, you know, for for both of our products. But because um, Ireland is so small, mm. like, I mean, the population of Ireland is like the size of Greater Manchester that we really do need to kind of go abroad. And I think most Irish companies, that's kind of their next step. So um, we we're hoping now in New York, we've got some key um, appointments already made um, and then we're hoping to kind of go into shops while we're there and and just kind of meet and greet and mm. show our products. Are you going unannounced to, to a couple of these shops or are you just going to walk in and say, hey, look at what we've, we've got? We've done or- a lot of research before. Yeah, so you so know where you're after. Yeah, we do. We've, we've sent an awful lot of emails introducing ourselves um, already and uh, we've had a couple of people reply to us asking us to go in and meet them and then we have some, we're meeting with the buyers from Barney's so we're very excited. Barney's, about that. is, that's huge. If you landed Barney's, that would be, you'd be set up girls, Absolutely. wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. That'd be amazing to get your work out there. And what about, we were talking off air about possible markets and we mentioned the Middle East. Is that something you'd be looking into, Carol, the Middle East? Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Dubai would be. Dubai, of course. I mean, for me, um, I I will, we will both go in the winter um, and definitely Mm. I'd like to do some kind of pop-up coming up to the Dubai World Cup. So I suppose December, January would be the time. Yeah. Nice weather in yeah. Dubai that time yeah. of the year too. Nice, about twenty eight degrees. That should Super. be that should be <laughs> that should be lovely. Yeah. So, what type of people do you think would would wear your headpieces or your scarves? What type of 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 ladies, discerning ladies, of course, they, with, that they like are to be a luxury a buy. They're a luxury buy, so because um, yeah, yeah, and they're. I mean, the scarves, of course, it's different. You can wear the scarf every day. Yeah, the millinery. There were, you know, a few wears. And Not everybody can wear hats, or do you think everybody can wear a hat? There's a hat for everyone, Is I there? think, or there's a, a headpiece for everyone. Yeah, do I mean, th- definitely. Now, I know, understand some people absolutely hate to have something on their head. Yeah. But uh, yeah, of course, there's a different shape to suit everyone, especially at the moment with the so many um, embellished bands, turbans. 
they're like they're really making a comeback and fascinators for weddings of course mm. where did that start do you think where do people it used to be hats a big hat the bigger the better at weddings yeah I but think Philip Tracy probably brought fascinators back did he? I, I, I definitely and I think the the amount of attention that the royals get and uh, any event like Troop in the Colour or especially royal weddings you see the trends they come from there and do you think the fashions from years and years ago like the 40s with Peaky Blinders on TV yeah. now of course has brought back an awful lot of the fashion from that era even for men men are taken to wearing hats oh definitely and definitely at the races you, most a lot of men would be wearing like a Peaky Blinders cap or a Trilby hat definitely so tell me about the materials so this is sustainable fashion wear so tell me about that and you're very eco-conscious both of you so tell me about um, sourcing the fabrics for this and tell me a bit about sustainable fashion fashion because a lot of us are into almost disposable fashion aren't mm-hmm. we we buy something for the summer and it's gone you know yeah. and and that can't continue for the good of the planet obviously that can't continue but tell me a little bit about sustainable wear and sustainable fashion and what that is um i think because like that again they're luxury products it's kind of harping back to a day when you would spend that kind of money you know on one piece and get their lifetime so it's 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 adhering to slow fashion so my my products um I'm looking for zero waste. I encourage my clients to come and uh, reuse old fascinators. We take them apart. We reuse them again. And the fabrics for these, they're ethically sourced cottons. They're eco-friendly inks, so they're not going to pollute the ocean. And they're actually printed in Donegal, of all places. Okay. So um, I'm I'm really kind of proud that I'm using those kind of materials. And do you think Irish women are hat wearers? I know women on the continent, especially Italian women, French women, they love their hats. Are we are we getting our Irish women moving? For with occasions, that? most definitely. For occasions yeah, like we are. the races yeah, or, or, or yeah, weddings. Yeah, and weddings, yeah. And yeah. of course, scarves, tell me a little bit about you. Are, are these sustainable wear as well? And I know they're made in oh, Italy, yeah. but that's just simply, if you could get these made in Ireland, you would. Oh, I would, yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love to get them made in Ireland. And in the future, I, I wouldn't mind um, doing a collection with linen. And that would definitely be made in Ireland. But because silk is kind of synonymous with Como um, it's kind of really was the best place and also because I was living in Venice at the time that's why I had the connection with it but for me it's very important to keep the manufacturing in Europe um, because it is a luxury product they're timeless pieces and they are like Carol was saying investment pieces um, and then also because the scarves are based on my abstract paintings they're additions of my work so mm. it's not throwaway fashion I don't do an autumn winter spring summer collection um, yeah. you know these are these are kind of I'll be you know having new releases but they'll be based on paintings so it's it's not something that you know it's out of out of season now and it can't yeah. be worn and are there trends at the moment like do you guys follow trends or do you not just march all. to your own drum not at all no no I'm trying not to to follow trends I try to book the trends actually <laughs> I'll be the trendsetter <laughs> oh that's a great way to yeah. be that's brilliant so you don't follow the latest whatever no. is 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 in at the minute you just you, because it's your own inspiration yeah it's yeah, coming yeah. And from and are you and still you want painting? It to be timeless. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you both still paint as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And do you sell your work, your paintings? Um, yes. Yes. Both of us do. Um, in November, actually, I have a, I have a brilliant um, opportunity. I was selected to be part of the Straight Out of Ireland um, exhibition over in Philadelphia. So in the middle of um, November, I'm going over for that. Oh, that's exciting. And that's yeah. a, another string to your bow then, isn't it yeah. as well? No, I'm really looking forward to it. And there is talk. We haven't 
things haven't been finalised yet, but there is talk, talk of the exhibition going on then to um, New York. Fantastic. So if anybody is listening to this today and wants to get in touch with you, wants to buy a headpiece for a special occasion or wants to buy a scarf for somebody as a gift, they make wonderful gifts as well. Where can they contact you guys? Have you a Facebook page, a website? Yeah, um, we're both on on Instagram and we both have our website. My website is um, claireoconnor.net. So it's Claire without an I. And I'm uh, caroloconnormillinery.ie. Yeah. So anybody out there that wants to have a look on our Facebook page, you'll get a look at these beautiful creations. You can go online to source them for yourselves. The girls, best of luck in New York on Wednesday and with your future. And if you go to the Middle East or wherever in the world you go, take your beautiful creations with you. And thanks, thanks, thanks for coming so in to us today. Thank you very take much. Take care. Bye bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch for the last segment. This afternoon, the number to text is 086-1800-658. Now, are you a first-time buyer? Are you becoming more and more frustrated with being unable to successfully bid on the house that you want? Well, we may have the answer for you this afternoon, or at least some help with your conundrum anyway. Drahada native and well-known buyer's agent Liz O'Kane joins me on the line. You're welcome to Late Lunch. Liz, how are you? Lovely to talk to you, Joan. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on. You're very welcome. First of all, Liz, can you explain to us what is a buyer's agent? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I was the first buyer's agent in the country. And uh, that stems back to 2002 when I saw location, location, location on Channel 4. And I saw Kirsty Alsop doing her thing and I said, I want I want to do that. That's me. Yeah, I've, I've so, watched those programmes. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, in fact, like we all love property. In fact, it's really it's very much an Irish traditional thing. It stems right back to the field. We all love our patch of grass and where are we going to live and what are we going to do? Most of our European cousins rent, but we absolutely have purchasing um, in our DNA, shall we say. We certainly but do. What a buyer's yeah. agent does is, Joan, I am I am an estate agent by profession, but I act exclusively for the purchaser. So I am not an agent who goes around um, via to put boards up for sale signs up and um, in competition with other agents I actually act for the purchaser in sourcing and negotiating a property for them based on their budget location and criteria So somebody comes to you and they say we have X amount of mortgage approval here and we're looking for a house in Drogheda or do you help them find that house or do they find it first and then you help them negotiate through it? No, generally how the process goes is I will sit down and I speak with a potential client and based on their budget, their location and their criteria, I first of all tell them whether I believe it's achievable or not. Sometimes we need to change the goalposts a little bit and change the mindset. And um, and based on based on the information that I then gather, I go and hunt on their behalf. Now, I would have a variety of clients on my books, Joan. I would have first-time buyers, which is obviously what we're specifically talking about today, but I would have first-time buyers, people who are living overseas, investors. Um, you know, there would be a variety of clients with a variety of needs. They either come with me on that hunt if they are available, and if they're not available, I will go and hunt on their behalf. I view all of the properties. I then tell them the ones that I believe they will not be interested in, and I give them then a short list of properties that I believe they will be interested in in purchasing, and also that they can achieve 
um, in terms of the bidding process. Because that's the thing, isn't it? It's what you can achieve. Have people got, do you think, unrealistic expectations of what's out there or what they can afford? Well, look, particularly when it comes to first-time buyers, no, they don't really have unrealistic expectations. It's just that they don't know how to go about the process. Mm. And look, you know, it's a very interesting thing to to mention in that how many times do people purchase a house or move house in their lifetime? Maybe twice, maybe three times, mm. you know, would be the average. So even if you're very, if, you, if you're a very astute business person, it's the one transaction that everybody becomes very emotive about and very unsure about. Um, actually, how do I actually sell a house and how do I go about purchasing a, a new one? And what happens in, in the time frame in between selling and buying, um, etc. It's something that gets people quite stressed and quite emotive. Oh, it is. Um, it's one of the most stressful things in life, moving house, buying a house or yeah. selling a house. So the yeah. pitfalls must be huge. I mean, what what have you seen? What are the pitfalls, we say, particularly with with people buying their first house? Well, first of all, they, they become very emotionally embroiled. And sometimes because they're so emotionally embroiled, they'll walk away from the process rather than sticking with it. Um, if somebody uses me as a buyer's agent who's representing them, first of all, the estate agent is dealing with me exclusively. They don't, uh, they're not dealing with the potential purchaser. So therefore, they don't know who they're dealing with and they don't know how much money they have. So I'm coming to the table on behalf of somebody else. I'm completely unemotive because it's not my money. That's the first thing. And I also know how to bid strategically and how to deal with estate agents in general. Because there must be a lot of hidden costs the first time buyers wouldn't have taken into account. I mean, are, are, this is something people should be prepared for, but presumably you know all about it. So you're well able to deal with this. Well, of course. I mean, that would be one of the very first questions about their budget. Does their budget include their conveyancing fees, i.e. their solicitor's fees? And also, does it include their stamp duty, if any? A lot of people actually sort of balk at that and they go good lord I never even thought of my estate agent or I never even thought of my uh, and plus my own fee when it comes to it um, you know I never thought of, of, of any of those fees and suddenly they realise that they're potentially 10% in excess of the price of the property again on stamp duty and um, and, and conveyancing forward slash solicitor's fees Mm, and when you when you go to when you go to to view a house for somebody and you think well you, not in my opinion I don't think they should buy this would you cons- would you advise them and say well I think you should move farther out you'll get a better house or or would you just go along with what the criteria that they would give you Oh gosh no no my whole modus operandi is 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 to advise my purchasers as to what I believe is best for them both everybody has a criteria everybody has their wants and their needs and you know some you know some people are thinking ahead they're thinking ahead about children and schools and gardens etc cetera, etc cetera. and sometimes even if you just move a kilometer or a kilometer or a half in, in, in the opposite direction of where you would naturally aspire to, you get way more bang for your buck. And it's always worth exploring. I always say to my clients, do not eliminate a property having looked at it online. Don't eliminate um, without viewing it in the flesh, so to speak. Well, supposing I put a bid in on a house and, and the next thing I know, there's a new bidder bidding against me. Can I be sure of that? Is there any way of checking? I mean, can the auction, will the auctioneer tell you that they're definitely, because this happened to me when I bought my house and, and this was in 2001 when I bought my house and, and there was someone bidding against me or so I thought or so I was told, but I, I don't think there was. Is there any way of verifying why, why that? Why do you think that, Joan? Why do you not think there was? I had a very similar conversation today, actually, with a potential client of mine and she was saying exactly the same thing. She said, oh, I really don't know if the other bidder was there and I said you know what makes you doubt that why Mm. do people just assume that I mean look 
uh, estate agents, among other professions, um, you know, are, are not liked for that very reason. This is and, the thing, yeah. And and that is, but we are in, we, we have a sales process in this country which allows a bidding process, all right? Every single bid has to be registered and timed and dated with the name of the person and all of their contact details and, and in most cases, their proof of funds. All right. And in Mm. most cases, now, I'm not saying for one moment that in the past there might have been phantom bids. I'm not suggesting that for one moment. It may well have been the case. As I say, I was never an estate agent who took bids. I'm an estate agent who bids on behalf of my purchasers. But we also have the Property Services Regulatory Authority now, which are in place since 2011, since the crash. And if somebody is just sort of feeling, gosh, there's somebody bidding against me and I'm really not sure if that person exists or not, as the case may be. You can ask your estate agent Mm. for the bids. May I see the bids, please? Now, the estate agent does not have to show you, clearly won't be giving you the the, the name of the the person in question or the party in question uh, due to data protection. But they should be able to show you logged bids. If you're still uncomfortable, you go to the PSRA and you say, I'm still uncomfortable. Can you request them, please? Um, Look, it's all legislative now. Mm. Everything's above board I now. I, I can't answer your question finitely, other than mm. most punters are very suspicious. And, <laughs> you know, I work in an estate agency. I work, uh, we, I work for a company called Hunter's Estate Agents in Dublin. We are the only estate agent in the country who have a buyer's agent in-house, right? And I can tell you, certainly under our umbrella, I have never, ever seen nothing that has not been logged. Right. Um, and Liz, on, on, in terms of bids. Can I just take you back? You you were there for the boom, you were there for the bust, and you're here now again I for was. the new boom. Um, do you think, well, it, have it, people learned, or is there a new boom? Not in my opinion, there isn't. Uh, actually, no, you're absolutely right. I, I was here for, from literally from boom to bust. I ended up leaving the country for a little while. I was involved in television during that period of time um, with House Hunters and House Hunters in the Sun and also wrote numerous property columns. Uh, it's very interesting now that property is no longer a dirty word, Joan, and therefore people are talking about property again and in a more positive fashion in terms of uh, approval and principle and lending, etc., etc. Uh, now another opportunity has presented itself to me, which you know about with Animo TV and First Timers, which is going to be coming on to um, Virgin Media Player and that's what I'm on to talk to you about today. Uh, in terms of is there a boom, I don't believe there's a boom, no. I believe that the, that the market is quite flat, I, I would say flatlined is how I would describe it. Um, I don't think it's bottomed or anything like that, I just think it's steady. It's very steady and it's flatlined. And um, I mean, particularly in the Dublin market, uh, properties that are valued and being advertised both on my home and aft, etc, etc, are either making the asking price or in some cases a little bit below it. So do you think we've learned then from the bust, Liz? Have people learned? But have they learned what? Like were there hard lessons to be learned? You know when people sold for high prices, now people are thinking they can sell for those same high prices because they think there's 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 another boom. No, I don't think people do think there's another boom, Joan. It's certainly not what I'm hearing on, on, on mm. the street. And, and I'm out there all of the time. Um, I, think there's, I think there's competition out there again because the banks are lending. Right, so of course, if, yeah. If you have numerous first-time buyers who suddenly have, you know, they've saved their deposit. Uh, they've gone into their bank. They're now approved in principle. And I'm, ju- I'm just talking about first-time buyers specifically here. So there's more competition because those first-time buyers are coming back to the market. They want to get onto the rung of the ladder. And in some cases, um, 
you know, there is a bidding war. But our system allows a bidding war. So you have to learn to sort of, you know, how low can you go? Start low and be steady about your bidding process. And, you know, you should be purchasing Mm. Um, at asking price and not much more above it. Okay, so tell me about the the TV series now for Virgin Media. It's due to air soon? Um, no, we, well, we're due, we're due to air, I think, in the next uh, three three to six weeks. It's going to be six little slots. It's all about first-time buyers. We're going to be touring the country um, between Cork, Limerick and anybody else who'd like to contact us. Obviously, Dublin is in that equation. And um, we are looking for people um, who are either approved in principle or have their deposits saved, um, who, who maybe have been out there in the market already and have been unsuccessful and are feeling, feeling a little bit disappointed enfranchised and um, I will be there to to guide them to talk them through what I've just said the budget look the location the criteria I will choose properties that I believe they'll be interested in purchasing we'll go and view those and we'll talk through them and um, fingers crossed we might get a sale agreed lovely Liz where can people contact you so so um, it's Animo TV who are producing this and um, if anybody, I mean obviously I would love somebody up from my own neck of the woods, I'd love somebody up around the northeast or Louth or Mead, it would be lovely to come up and see you. And um, it's Neve and Animo TV and her email address is Neve, N-I-A-M-H at animotv.ie and it's a Dublin telephone number 015310948 and they can gather all the information they want. But it's going to be great, um, it's going to be great free advice from myself as the most seasoned, seasoned buyer's agent in the country. And also okay. Darren Kennedy is my co-presenter and Darren is, is, is a great lover of property as well Lovely. and he'll be having little chats alongside. Perfect, and, Liz. Um, that's, that's very exciting. Yeah. Thanks a million. I have to wrap up here, but thanks a million for joining me on Late okay, Lunch this John. afternoon, Liz. And- Thanks a million. So that's it for another day. Thanks to all my guests and to my producer, Louise, for steering the ship. Till tomorrow, take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get lowest can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.